If you join me in Bible study this morning, please open up your Bibles to the book of Isaiah, chapter 65, to verse 18. And I want you to put your Hebrew caps on right now. Because, well, let me read the verse and I'll tell you why. But be glad and rejoice forever in what I create. For behold, I create Jerusalem as a rejoicing and her people a joy. In that verse, we have rejoice, we have be rejoicing, we have joy, we have be glad. What does all that emphasis on joy tell you? Tabernacles, the Feast of Tabernacles, which prophesies the establishment of the Messianic Kingdom. So yes, verse 17 is going to talk about the Messianic Kingdom and into eternity future. But the way it does it in verse 17 is a way that I never saw before. I've taught this chapter so many times. But there's something I missed in the Hebrew. How do you say forever in Biblical Hebrew? Le'olam? Adolam? Laolam va'ed is forever and ever. But this one, what's that? Lador, Lador. Lador, Lador, from generation to generation. That's another way to say it. This one is aday odd. Aday odd. Which means forevers of forever. So not just forever, but an infinite number of forevers. Let me talk to my mathematicians out there. If I have an infinite number of Diet Cokes, how many do I have? What's that? <laughs> All bad stuff. But how many bad stuffs? <laughs> Incalculable. You cannot count the number. It's so large. Now take an infinite number of infinites. And you see how God is trying to say, when he says that the kingdom will go on forever and ever without end, he really, really means it. There is no place you can go in the future where the Lord will not be reigning from Jerusalem. It may be Jerusalem on this earth as it is now. It may be Jerusalem that comes down from heaven above called the New Jerusalem. But the Lord will rule and reign without end. But just the way they put it here, odd day, odd. Odd day is a word pair form and it's a plural word pair forms. So it means forevers of forever. Odd day, odd. A-D-E dash A-D. Alpha dog, right? A-D-E dash A.D. You could translate it as eternity of eternities. Infinity of infinities. But what he's trying to get across is, don't you ever think it's going to end. For when he says, behold, I create new heavens and a new earth. And the former shall not be remembered or come to mind in verse 17. He wants us to know that those new heavens and new earth continue the kingdom with Messiah on the throne. What did it say in Isaiah chapter 9? Of the increase of his kingdom there shall be what? No end. 
This is just another way of saying, but be glad and rejoice forever in what I create. For behold, I create Jerusalem as a rejoicing in her people of joy. God's children, whether they were born Jewish or not, will rejoice in the Lord ruling and reigning from Jerusalem. What did our government do this week? went to meet with the Palestinian Authority in eastern Jerusalem because that's the capital of the Palestinian state. And all the Bible commentators are going, whoa, did you just say Zechariah chapter 12, verse 3? We are in for it now. How does God feel about Jerusalem? It's his, and it cannot be divided. How does he feel about the land of Israel? It's his. And it cannot be divided. He says of all the earth, this part is his. Has there ever been an attempt to divide any other country like they're trying to do? Has there ever been an attempt to divide any other country as they're trying to do now? No. And why is it? Because God said... It's never to be divided. So what does Satan want to do? Divide it. Whatever God says will be, Satan wants to keep from being. Now if God has said, it'll be divided in half and the Jews can only have half, we'd be trying to fight, saying, no, put it all together. Okay. On to verse 19, verse whatever. 19, yep, that's it. I will rejoice in Jerusalem. Wait a minute. God told us to rejoice and now he says he's going to rejoice with us. He will be with us in our presence, dwelling amongst us for how long? Forever and ever, for an infinity of forevers. I rejoice in Jerusalem and joy in my people. My people, are those the ones who follow him out of faith and love or the ones who reject him? Ones who follow him out of faith and love. The voice of weeping shall no longer be heard in her, nor the voice of crying. Is this the only place where God promises no more tears? No. Yeah, it's not in the baby commercials, the no more tears on the shampoo. It's in Revelation chapter 21, verse 4. So let's go up to Revelation 21, verse 4. Let's even back up to verse 3 because it just relates so much to what Isaiah 65 is teaching. And behold, I heard a loud voice from heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men. What does it mean the tabernacle of God is with men? That God will be here with us in our midst, dwelling amongst us. As Isaiah chapter 12 says, the Holy One of Israel in her midst. The tabernacle of God is with men. And he will dwell with them. That is skino. What does it mean, skino, to dwell with? It means to tabernacle with. What is tabernacle? It's a picture of the kingdom. It reminds us of how God dwelt with Israel in the wilderness. God will dwell with us the very same way. How did God dwell with Israel? Was he on the outskirts of the camp? He was in the very center of the camp. Everything pointed to him. That's the way it will be again. And they shall be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. 
There should be no more death, nor sorrow, nor crying. There shall be no more pain for the former things that passed away. Some of you out there are too young to know, but when you get older, things start to hurt. <laughs> and they hurt a lot. And the more they hurt, the more we look forward to the coming of the Lord, Amen. the sounding of that trumpet. When we get that new body, that will have no more pain, no more tears, no more crying. Is that a precious promise? It sure is. What in this world is worth giving that up for? Not a thing. Not a thing. So before I get all preachy, let's go back to Isaiah 65 to verse 20. Talking about the, millenni the millennial kingdom, the messianic kingdom on earth, even before we get to the new heavens, the new earth. Messiah has a thousand year kingdom. He reigns for the first seven years in heaven as David reigned the first seven years in Hebron. Then David brought the kingdom to Jerusalem, so Messiah will bring the kingdom to Jerusalem. And during that millennial kingdom, it says, No more shall an infant from there live but a few days. Which means what? No more children dying shortly after birth. Goes on, nor an old man who's not fulfilled his days. Meaning people will stop dying from sickness, from accidents. We will live out our days. How long are those days going to be? It says, for the child shall die 100 years old. Meaning if somebody dies at 100, they'll still be considered a child. How long must the lives be? Like a tree. That's exactly what the scriptures tell us. How long do the olive trees in Israel live? Some of those trees in the Garden of Gethsemane are over 2,000 years old. They are the very trees Messiah cried under and prayed under and pleaded under and taught under. They're still there. So it's the long lives restored as they were before the flood when people lived 930 years, 969 years. It says, for the child shall die 100 years old, but the sinner being 100 years old shall be accursed. Meaning the only way somebody dies at 100 years old is because they have turned away from God and turned to sin. Those who stay true to God will live through the entire Messianic kingdom. Wow. Let us look at Genesis chapter 5. I just want to see what the lives were of some of the people before the flood. Genesis chapter 5, verse 5. So Adam lived 930 years. Chapter 5, verse 11. Enosh lived 905 years. Boy, he was just a kid. In verse 14, Canaan lived 910 years. In verse 17, Mahalalel lived for 895 years. It's going to be like that and more. 
Now, that's not we who are in our immortal changed bodies. We never die. This is talking about flesh and blood human beings who survived the tribulation period of life and went into the kingdom with Messiah in their midst. Verse 21 says, They shall build houses and inhabit them. People go, well, of course they would. What else would you do with a house? What that means is no more captivity. No more will an invader come to take away what they have built. Luke asked the question, will there be an actual temple in the new heavens and the new earth in eternity future? The answer to that is no, in eternity future, God will dwell directly in our midst. There won't be walls to separate us. But there will be a physical, literal temple in the Messianic kingdom. So verse 21, they shall build houses and inhabit them. They shall plant vineyards and eat their fruit. Is the promise of no more captivity. And that takes us back to Exodus chapter 34. Exodus chapter 34, verse 24. We'll start in 23 for context. Three times in the year, all your men shall appear before the Lord, the Lord, the God of Israel. For I will cast out the nations before you and enlarge your borders. Neither will any man covet your land when you go up to appear before the Lord your God three times in the year. How is it that Israel got invaded? Because they didn't keep the commandment that God gave them. But in the kingdom, will they keep it? They will keep it, and God will defend and protect them. They will never have to worry about an invasion again. Never, ever. Let's go to Deuteronomy 28. Deuteronomy 28 gives us blessings for those who follow God faithfully out of love. These blessings never end. So Deuteronomy 28, verses 1 to 13. Here's what God promises. Now it shall come to pass if you diligently obey the voice of the Lord your God to observe carefully all his commandments I command you today that the Lord your God will set you high above all nations of the earth. And all these blessings shall come upon you and overtake you because you obey the voice of the Lord your God. Blessed shall you be in this city, and blessed shall you be in the country. Blessed shall be the fruit of your body, the produce of your ground, and the increase of your herds, the increase of your cattle, and the offspring of your flocks. Blessing shall be your basket and your kneading bowl. Blessed shall you be when you come in, and blessed shall you be when you go out. The Lord will cause your enemies who rise against you to be defeated before your face. They shall come out against you one way and flee before you seven ways. Lord will command the blessing on you in your storehouses and in all to which you set your hand. And he will bless you in the land which the Lord your God is giving you. The Lord will establish you as a holy people to himself just as he has sworn to you if you keep the commandments of the Lord your God and walk in his ways. Then all peoples of the earth shall see that you are called by the name of the Lord, and they shall be afraid of you. 
and the Lord will grant you plenty of goods in the fruit of your body, in the increase of your livestock, in the produce of your ground, in the land of which the Lord swore to your fathers to give you. Lord will open you his good treasure, the heavens, to give the rain to your land in its season, and to bless all the work of your hand. You shall lend to many nations, but you shall not borrow. And the Lord will make you the head and not the tail. You shall be above only and not be beneath, if you heed the commandments of the Lord your God, which I command you today, and are careful to observe them. And in the kingdom will the people be observant. They will. Will they follow the commandments of God? They will. So will they receive all these blessings? They will. Every one of them. Does it sound like a place you'd like to live? It does me too. Back to Isaiah 65, we're up to verse 22. Right. Yes, ma'am, or so, wherever it was. Can you go back to Deuteronomy 28, verse 1, about you will set us on high above all the nations? Can you explain what time frame this is? It's millennial kingdom. Is that just rapture or Deuteronomy 28 verse 1 applies from Mount Sinai to eternity future. So if the people had diligently obeyed the Lord, the kingdom of Israel would never have been invaded. They never would have gone into captivity. They never would have had famine. They never would have had the loss of children. They never would have had the animals abort the calves. They would have lived in peace and luxury, being blessed of the Lord all the days of their lives. And every time they went into captivity and repented and came back, then the blessings of Deuteronomy 28 begin again until they once more turn away and get sent back out into captivity. And the cycle repeats, doesn't it? Over and over. But in the kingdom, the people will be observant to the Lord. On the whole, there will be exceptions. The one who dies at 100 years old chose not to follow after the Lord. But that's going to be an exception. At the end, there's going to be a second battle of Gog and Magog. Yeah. When Satan... Well, let's go look. Let's go to Revelation chapter 20. Yes, ma'am? Yes, that's right. They were like people who sit in church pews but aren't really saved. Revelation 20. Have you noticed when people run for political office around here, they want to tell you what church they've been to and for how many years? And but that's changing. They, they that's changing. That. <laughs> yeah. And business owners like to go and be seen, whether they're doing it for the Lord or not. Could be. Okay, Revelation chapter 20. That's where we are. The end of Revelation 19 is the second coming of the Lord in the battle of Armageddon. And it continues into chapter 20, verse 1. Then I saw an angel coming down from heaven, having the key to the bottomless pit and a great chain in his hand. He laid hold of the dragon, that serpent of old, who was the devil and Satan, and bound him for a thousand years. So for a thousand years, Satan is bound in the pit. 
You'll no longer be able to say, the devil made me do it. Because, well, no, he did not. Verse 3, and he cast him into the bottomless pit and shut him up. Literally and physically. And set a seal on him so he should deceive the nations no more until. He gets another chance at the end. Until the thousand years were finished. But after these things, he must be released for a little while. And he's going to go then across the world and see how many people he can deceive into turning their backs on the Lord and turning to him, just like Adam and Eve did in the Garden of Eden. And what does it say? He's going to turn a multitude. Verse 7, now when the thousand years were expired, Satan will be released from his prison and will go out to deceive the nations which are in the four corners of the earth, Gog and Magog, to gather them together to battle whose number is as the sand of the sea. So these people who have worshipped the Lord for a thousand years, Satan's going to whisper in their ears and say, what did he ever really do for you? You think he really died for you? Did you believe that old story? They're trying to manipulate you. Why would you listen to your parents? They just try to mislead you. But it says in verse 9, They went up on the breadth of the earth and surrounded the camp of the saints in the beloved city, and fire came down from God out of heaven and devoured them. It's not really a battle. It's certainly not a war. It's over in a moment. Verse 10, the devil who deceived them was cast in the lake of fire and brimstone. What's brimstone? Anybody know? Sulfur. Why do you add sulfur to gunpowder? To make it burn hotter and expand. Hot burning gases. Where the beast and the false prophet are. See, the beast and the false prophet, that's the Antichrist and the false prophet, have had the lake of fire to themselves for a, a thousand years. They've got to pick out the best beachfront property. There isn't any. And they'll be tormented day and night forever and ever. That's La'olam Va'ed. It's another way of saying it never ends. There are many denominations that teach, well, they're cast in lake of fire and burned up in an instant. That's not what the scripture says. They'll be tormented day and night forever and ever. And why? Because they didn't want to repent. They would rather live in sin and believe the lie. Okay, back to Isaiah 65. Yes, ma'am. Can you help us with the application of Gog and Magog in those uh, Revelation scriptures? Why is occasionally Jerusalem called Sodom and Gomorrah? Or why does Rome occasionally get called Babylon? It means they're acting like Gog and Magog did. That is to try and throw Messiah off the throne and to stop God from ruling and reigning. So they're acting like Gog and Magog from Ezekiel 38. Yep. It's a good question. Because there's some people who say that Ezekiel 38 and 39 applies to the battle at the end of the Millennial Kingdom, and it does not. So the one at the end of the Millennial Kingdom is a second battle of Gog and Magog, if you want to call it that. But it's really over in an instant. 
So back to Isaiah 65, we're up to verse 22. They, we keep seeing they, who's they? Let's read. They shall not build and another inhabit. They shall not plant and another eat. For as the days of a tree, so shall be the days of my people. Who? My people. And my elect, that now tells you who the people are. My people are my elect. Shall long enjoy the work of their hands. Who are the elect of God? Who are the chosen? Those that choose him, his servants, those who come to him in faith and love. To walk in his ways, to be his people. Throughout Isaiah 65 and 66, we're going to see a you and a we. We're going to see a them and an us. We're going to see servants and the enemy. As God divides the world into two classes of people, the saved and the unsaved. Verse 23 says, They shall not labor in vain, which means... When they work in the fields, the crops will produce. When they keep the sheep, the sheep will increase. Nor bring forth children for trouble. These are more blessings from Deuteronomy 28. For they shall be the descendants of the blessed of the Lord and their offspring with them. Verse 24. It shall come to pass that before they call, I will answer. And while they're still speaking, I will hear. Do you realize what a blessing that is? What does Proverbs 28 9 say? Let's go over to Proverbs 28 9. Proverbs 28 9. Proverbs 28.9 One who turns his ear from hearing the law, even his prayer is an abomination. Does this apply only to Solomon's sons? <laughs> no. How do we know for sure? Is there a New Testament equivalent? John 9.31 Let's go look at John 9.31 It kind of broadens the scope, doesn't it? John 9, 31. We know that God does not what? Hear sinners. What's a sinner? One who breaks Torah. One who turns away his ear from hearing the law. Sin is lawlessness. 1 John 3, 4. So with those scriptures in mind, come back to Isaiah 65, verse 24, and let's answer the question of why? Why is it that before they call, God answers? Because they are being obedient. Out of faith and out of love. Therefore, not only does God hear the prayer, God answers the prayer before they can even get it all the way out of their lips. Why? Does, does God have to wait for us to speak to know what we're thinking? Or does God know the very thoughts of the heart? God knows what you need before you ever tell him. And this says that God is going to be right there, Johnny on the spot, to answer every prayer, every need, before it's even finished speaking.
And then verse 25, I love verse 25 because I love animals, especially big kitties. Verse 25 says, the wolf and the lamb shall feed together. What are they eating? The little children? No, they're eating grass. They will not be dangerous. How many of you today would go out in the woods and look for a wolf or a, or a lion to play with? But you will in those days. The wolf and the lamb shall feed together and not on each other. Which is the point here. The lion shall eat straw like the ox. And the dust shall be the serpent's food. How many of you around here are afraid of those little copperheads? Rattlesnakes. Yeah, I'm not, I'm not much of one to play with snakes. I don't mind them so much, but I'm not going to get down and play with them. I still remember very vividly a man who died out there. I think it was in Arizona, New Mexico. Because there was a rattlesnake in the road, so he stopped the car so he wouldn't run over it, went over and picked it up, and moved it off the road to save its life. And it bit him repeatedly, and he died there at the side of the road. This is not the kingdom, folks. When we come to the kingdom, that snake would have been appreciative. Not so much today. There will be animals in the Messianic kingdom. You bet there will be. And the verse continues. They shall not hurt nor destroy in all my holy mountains, says the Lord. What is a mountain? Kingdom. A kingdom. So in all the Messianic kingdom, the animals will not hurt. They will not bite. They will not scratch. Yes, sir. I, I just have to say, this is such an encouraging uh, portion here, um, as especially when we're talking about build houses and inhabit them, and people will not be, they'll not build them, and somebody else take them. And I was thinking about how life is right now, where we establish a life somewhere, and it's uprooted by life circumstances or experiences or whatever, and there's that constant. Uh, shifting of our lives and our identities and everything and, and that is so encouraging to, to read that and to realize what a rest will come into our souls living that life I like that word, what a rest give me a verse Hebrews 4.9 Hebrews 4.9 that was perfect you can get your nickel later <laughs> Hebrews 4.9 there remains, therefore, a rest for the people of God. Hebrews 4.9. There remains, therefore, a rest for the people of God. That word rest is sabbatismos. It's a Sabbath rest. And, and I think that's what we can uh, stand on in these days that we live in, to not have fear and to not trust, fill in the blank, I won't go anywhere politically. Sure. We can rest in the fact that God is aware of everything that is happening. All we have to do is, like you said last night, you know, listen to that still small voice. What is He telling me to do? Yeah. To go, what to say? I agree. Where to not to go? In Leviticus 23, God calls the Shabbat 
a holy convocation, which means the weekly Sabbath that comes every week is a picture of and is to teach us about that coming Sabbath rest of Hebrews chapter 4, verse 9. When we stop from our work, we rest, we recover, we breathe, we worship the Lord. It's a chance to let go of the tensions and the pressures and the worries of the world and just rest in God. There therefore remains a rest for the people of God. Yes, ma'am? The dust should be the serpent's food, yeah? Yes, that was the curse God put on the serpent in Genesis. Yeah. So the dust, I mean, he keeps his word. He does. Yeah. They shall not hurt nor destroy in all my holy mountains, says the Lord. Is this the only place that God promises us that the animals will not hurt us? Isaiah 11, verses 6 to 9. Let's look at that. Isaiah 11, verses 6 to 9. Isaiah 11, verses 6 to 9. Is about the Messianic kingdom. Says the wolf also shall dwell with the lamb. The leopard shall lie down with the young goat. The calf and the young lion and the fatling together, and a little child shall lead them. The cow and the bear shall graze, their young ones shall lie down together, and the lion shall eat straw like the ox. The nursing child shall play by the cobra's hole, and the weaned child shall put his hand in the viper's den. They shall not hurt nor destroy in all my holy mountain. There's that same phrase, all my holy mountain. For the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. But you know what? When I lay down at night and I hear a bang and a rattle at the door, my first thought is not there's a lion trying to get in. So will people be trying to kill people in the kingdom? No, let's go to Isaiah 2. It's not just the animals whose natures will have changed. But Isaiah 2, 4. He shall judge between the nations and rebuke many people. They shall beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nations shall not lift up sword against nation, neither shall they learn war anymore. Won't that let you sleep well at night? Micah 4 verse 3 gives us the same promise. Just like Isaiah 65 and Isaiah 11 tell us the same thing about the animals. What does the scripture say about two or more witnesses? So we have two or more witnesses. Verse 3, Micah 4 3. He shall judge between many peoples and rebuke strong nations afar off. They shall beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. 
Nations shall not lift up sword against nation, neither shall they learn war anymore. So a time of peace, love, and harmony like the world has never before seen. Do you want to be there? We will not be there in our physical mortal bodies, but we will be there in our changed bodies. I want to see it. I want to be a part of it. I have an old thought you can't prove from the Bible. can't disprove either. But I think the number of believers that are saved will equal the number of angels that fell. And I think we will get to take over their duties. We'll see. It doesn't say, but we'll see. Isaiah chapter 66, verse 1, the very last chapter. It's all about the second coming of the Lord. Thus says the Lord, Heaven is my throne, and the earth is my footstool. Where is the house that you will build me? And where is the place of my rest? I want to read to you a comment from the Tanakh, from my Jewish Bible. It says, this prophecy admonishes the Israelites for their belief that they could do whatever evil deeds they wished and then gain atonement by bringing a gift to the temple. I think that's spot on. And unfortunately, I think that's a wrong attitude that's in a lot of churches today. Is that since Messiah died for us, we can sin all we want. And there's nothing God can do about it. He just has to lump it. Does the Bible teach that? No, it does not. Verse 1 means that God sits in heaven and his feet sit on the earth. He is not one of us. He is not like you and I. He is not just another person to be trifled with, one to be tricked, to be misled. It doesn't work that way. God's higher than we are. His thoughts are higher than our thoughts. His ways are higher than our ways. And this is an answer to Isaiah chapter 64. Let's go back to Isaiah chapter 64. Verse 11. Our holy and beautiful temple where our fathers praised you is burned up with fire. And all our pleasant things are laid waste. Will you restrain yourself because of these things, O Lord? Will you hold your peace and afflict us very severely? So the question is, since there's not been a temple in Israel for 2,000 years, does that mean that God has forgotten his people? Does it mean that God will forget his promises? Does it mean that God will not keep his promises to bring in the kingdom? And the answer to all those is in no way. Let's even go majinoito. Let's pretend it was Greek. Which means God forbid. Ain't no way. Let's look at Psalm 110. Psalm 110 tells us why it's been so long. Psalm 110. 
A Psalm of David. Psalm 110. A Psalm of David. The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand till I make your enemies your footstool. So why is Messiah waiting to return? It's not time yet. Have the nations given themselves over to the Lord yet? No, but they will. The Lamb well, excuse me, the Lord shall send the rod of your strength out of Zion. Rule in the midst of your enemies. So there will come a day that the Lord will return for the battle of Armageddon in Revelation 19, 11 and following. Will subdue the nations. They will accept the Lord's rule. They will come from all nations to hear the Lord teach Torah. That's Isaiah 2 and Micah 4. Your people shall be volunteers in the day of your power, which means they will serve you willingly. No force, no slavery. They will be God's servants by choice. In the day of your power, in the beauties of holiness from the womb of the morning. So they will serve God in holiness. Is holiness the same as lawlessness? No, quite the opposite. You have the dew of your youth. The Lord has sworn and will not relent. You are a priest forever according to the order of Melchizedek. So how long will the Lord intercede for mankind? Forever. The Lord is at your right hand. He shall execute kings in the day of his wrath. That's the tribulation period. He shall judge among the nations. We read that in Isaiah 2 and Micah 4. He shall fill the places with dead bodies. He shall execute the heads of many countries. He shall drink of the brook by the wayside. Therefore he shall lift up the head. So yes, Messiah is waiting until it's time. And when it's time, the trumpet will blow. The believers will be caught up to heaven in Revelation chapter 4 verse 1. We'll sing a new song to the Lord of salvation in Revelation 5 verse 9. And then in Revelation 6 verse 1, the first seal is open and the tribulation period begins. And God takes back what is his. Go to Zechariah 6. Talk about a little book that tells us a lot about the end times. Zechariah, boy, he's got a lot of stuff in it. Zechariah chapter 6, verses 12 to 13, tells us about Messiah's rule, what his position is going to be, his role here on earth. Zechariah chapter 6, verse 12. Then speak to him, saying, Thus says the Lord of hosts, Adonai Zavah, what kind of prophecy? In times prophecy, saying, what is saying mean? What follows is a quote. Behold, the man whose name is the branch. This word for branch is samak. From his place he shall branch out. And he shall build the temple of the Lord. That's the millennial temple. Yes, he shall build the temple of the Lord. I like the way that's put. 
So many people, when you read verse 12, and he shall build the temple of the Lord, say, is there really going to be another temple? The response, yes, he shall build the temple of the Lord. God just anticipates the reaction. He shall bear the glory. Give me a chapter in Ezekiel 43. He shall sit and rule on his throne, Ezekiel 43, 7. He shall be a priest on his throne. Oh, historically, could a king also be priest? The answer is no. But Messiah is both king and priest. What does he promise you and I to be in Revelation 1, 6? King and priests. Which means we will share his power. We will help him rule. And a council of peace shall be between them both. That's pretty cool. Let's go to John chapter 1. Mr. Wayne. Yes, ma'am. How do we address that idea that we are the temple? You hear people say that, you know, and as if there will be no temple. What is the temple? Because we are. What is the temple? A temple is where God resides. Where does the Holy Spirit live right now? In, in your heart. That's right. In Ezekiel 43, when Messiah returns at the end of the tribulation period, he will sit physically in the temple in Jerusalem on the Temple Mount. That's what the scripture tells us in Ezekiel 43 to 48. Is he going to physically sit on us? No, he's going to sit in the temple. The Holy Spirit resides in us. He will reside in the temple building. Thank you. You're welcome. But Susie Q, that, that raises another thing. Is the Holy Spirit residing in me or in you? Us both. That's right. And Linda adds, in all of us, which means how many temples can there be? <laughs> Wherever God dwells. Okay, John 1. Before you start. Before you start, go ahead. Okay. Uh, on the same thing, he's going to dwell in the temple on the temple mount. Yep. Is that the same temple that the Antichrist will have desecrated? The answer is no. So will there be four temples? Why count? <laughs> How many temples are there? Each of our bodies is a temple. Temples of us, I mean physical temples where he will reside. Yeah. Think back to the Maccabees. Antiochus Epiphanes was the biblical picture of the false messiah. What did he do? He desecrated the temple of God. And when, when they overthrew him, did they just bring a lamb and put it on the altar? No, they tore down the altar and rebuilt it. That, in technical terms, is building a new temple. Okay. So it's the altar. Yeah. So God will not use and reside in that which is desecrated. He will cleanse it first. Yep. Well, I was just thinking of all the biblical scriptural examples there are of God either 
destroys the abomination or that city or that area or whatever. Yeah. Or Georgia Guidestones. Or the Georgia Guidestones, okay. <laughs> Whatever is anti-God, God is such a jealous God because of his love for us. And what does he say about using things that are pagan to worship him? Don't do it. He will, and, and he won't do that to himself to, to build upon a foundation of abomination. You are correct. So keep a finger in John. And let's go back to Ezekiel. In Ezekiel 43, Messiah returns. Same as in Zechariah 14, Revelation 19, 11, etc. Messiah returns. Ezekiel 43, 1. Afterward, he brought me to the gate, the gate that faces toward the east. So that's the eastern gate of the city of Jerusalem, right? It faces the Mount of Olives. And behold, the glory of the God of Israel came from the way of the east. His voice was like the sound of many waters. Where have you heard those words before? Revelation chapter 1 and chapter 18 describes the voice of the Lord that way. In Matthew chapter 17 at the Mount of Transfiguration, how did Messiah shine? With the glory of the Lord, like the sun, it was so bright. And the earth shone with his glory. Then go down to verse 4. And the glory of the Lord came into the temple by way of the gate which faces toward the east. Does that sound like symbolic language? No, God's literally coming through the eastern gate. The Spirit lifted me up and brought me into the inner court. And behold, the glory of the Lord filled the temple. I heard him speaking to me from the temple while a man stood beside me. He said to me, Son of man, this is the place of my throne. This is where he's going to rule and reign from. In the place of the soles of my feet, which means ownership and possession, where I will dwell in the midst of the children of Israel forever. No more shall the house of Israel defile my holy name, they nor their kings, by their harlotry with the carcasses that are kings on their high places. And then the very next thing that happens is it talks about the altar starting in verse 12, the dimensions of it. And then in verse 18, the sacrifices begin again. Verse 18, he said to me, son of man, thus says the Lord God, it's actually my Lord, the Lord. These are the ordinances for the altar on the day when it's made for sacrificing burnt offerings on it and for sprinkling blood on it. You shall give a young bull for a sin offering to the priests, the Levites, who are the seed of Zadok, who approached me to minister me, to, says the Lord God. Does that sound like symbolic language? It's not. Zadok was the priest who stayed loyal to David when his sons revolted against him. Verse 20, you shall take some of its blood and put it on the four horns of the altar. Verse 21, the bull of the sin offering. Verse 2, the kid of the goats without blemish for a sin offering. And it goes on day after day. Verse 25, every day for seven days you shall prepare a goat for a sin offering. They shall also prepare a young bull and a ram from the flock, both without, ble both without blemish. Seven days they shall make atonement for the altar and purify it and so consecrate it. 
When these days are over, it shall be on the eighth day, and thereafter that the priest shall offer your burnt offerings and your peace offerings on the altar, and I will accept you, says the Lord God. So if you think back to the wilderness, God said the sacrifices were to be done for how long? Forever. Forever. And this just assures us that God's word continues. In, verses, in chapter 44, verses 23 and 24, it's referring to the priests, the descendants of Zadok, who were ministering before the Lord in the temple. It says, And they shall teach my people the difference between the holy and the unholy, cause them to discern between the unclean and the clean. In controversy they shall stand as judges and judge it according to my judgments. They shall keep my laws and my statutes and all my appointed meetings, and they shall hallow my Sabbaths. They shall not defile themselves by coming near a dead person. Does this sound like symbolic language? No, it does not. Okay, go back to John 1. I will remind us, though. Go ahead. Go ahead, Susie. I'm so sorry. Just the references there that we read through in Ezekiel about the sin offering. We, you know, have always been taught, there again, modern day ideas that there will be no more sin offering because he paid all sin offerings. So you're calling God a liar. God no, said the sin offerings no. would be done forever. If he said they're going to be done forever, how long will they be done? All the offerings were simply symbolic in the past and in the future. They all teach about Messiah. Why would you want to stop teaching about Messiah? How do you teach the children that are born in the millennial kingdom what the death of Messiah meant? When they take a lamb into the house that's one year old and keep it for several days and then Papa kills it on Passover, are the children going to cry? Are they going to say, Papa, Papa, why did that lamb have to die? And then Papa's going to say, well, you see the king sitting on the throne? He's the lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. So when we talk about finished work, I mean, I, I, I see how things get twisted as far as our understanding, especially from that modern day idea of the scriptures and him being the finished work and there again it's inconceivable that there will be offerings moving forward but you know it, it I've, I guess I've always been taught that the sin offerings were done away with on account of uh, his sacrifice yep you've heard it I've been told it <coughs> but the Bible doesn't support it how many times did Messiah say you've heard it said but then he'd say, it is written. Thank you. Sure. Let's go to John 1. Before you go to John 1. Before I go to John 1. Go ahead, Mary. Uh, um, this brings up probably uh, an answer to the thought that we would not be vegetarians in the thousand year reign because we will not be vegetarians. Because it, uh, you slaughter the, the lambs in the temple, the priests have to eat it. And right? so does the person who brings it. 
Okay. Yeah. There you go. All right. Thanks. Yep. John 1 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him nothing was made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. And the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. This man came for a witness to bear witness of the light that all through him might believe. That's God's hope, is that everyone would believe. That's what he wants. He is the light of the world, and so he has always been. Let's go back to Isaiah. Chapter 65. Oh, we're up to 66. Brother Wayne? Yes, ma'am. Uh, Mark wanted to know, will there be uh, sacrifices uh, in the uh, new heavens and the new earth? Will there be sacrifices in the new heavens and the new earth? We'll have to wait to see because the Bible simply doesn't say. I'm going to guess no. But it's only a guess because it says there's no more death. Whether that just means people or whether that means people and animals, we'll just have to wait to see. But does everybody realize that after Messiah was crucified, the temple remained for 40 more years? And that the apostles did animal sacrifices at the temple until the temple fell? If you do not know that, let's go to the book of Acts. Forty years. Forty years. <clears throat> Acts chapter 21, starting in verse 17. And when he had come to Jerusalem, he is Paul. The brethren received us gladly. On the following day, Paul went in with us to James, and all the elders were present. What do they mean by the elders? The apostles. When he greeted them, he told in detail those things which God had done among the Gentiles through his ministry. When he heard it, they glorified the Lord, and they said to him, You see, brother, how many myriads of Jews there are who have believed. What does it mean, the word myriads? It means at least 30,000. At least 30,000. The city of Jerusalem was about 60,000, so about half the people of the city of Jerusalem had become believers already. And they are all zealous for the Torah. What portion of them? All of them. They weren't all zealous for the Torah before they got saved. Getting saved made them more zealous for the Torah than they were before. What does Paul say in Romans 3.31? Does our faith make void the law? No, it upholds it. They're all zealous for the law. But they've been informed about you. That you teach all the Jews from among the Gentiles to forsake Moses. Saying that they ought not to circumcise their children. Nor to walk according to the customs. Is this a true allegation? No, this is false. It's about to tell us so in so many words. What then? 
The assembly must certainly meet, for they will hear that you've come. Therefore, do what we tell you. We have four men who've taken a vow. What kind of vow? It's a Nazarite vow. What kind of vow has Paul taken? A Nazarite vow. How does a Nazarite vow end? It ends at the temple with the cutting off the hair that you grew during the vow and you burn it on your animal sacrifice at the temple. Verse 24, take them and be purified with them. That's cutting off the hair, undergoing the mikvah and pay their expenses. The expenses are buy their animals for their sacrifice when you buy yours. Those were the expenses was buying the animals. So that they may shave their heads. That's how you know it's a Nazarite vow, no doubt. And that all may know that those things of which they were informed concerning you are nothing. Meaning what? They're lies. They're false. They're error. But that you yourself also walk orderly and keep the law. So here the Apostle Paul is doing animal sacrifices to complete his Nazarite vow. Okay, back to Isaiah chapter 66. I know people don't like it because we've been told that when Messiah died, the sacrifices ended, the temple was destroyed. This is simply not the way it was. But, but, this is not Bible, this is Talmud, so if you don't like Talmud, just put your fingers in your ears. The Talmud tells us that for that 40 years... The Shanae blood-colored cloth at Yom Kippur never turned white. Always before it had turned white. For the 40 years after Messiah was crucified, it did not. The lot, La Adonai, never came up in the high priest's right hand for those 40 years. The Ner Tamid, that is the light of the menorah that must always stay burning 24 hours a day, would go out every night. For those 40 years. For those 40 years, the great Nicanor gates that were closed to protect the temple would fly open of their own accord every night. There's more, but these things, these are from non-Messianic Jews saying, we don't know why, but this is what happened. What did they tell us? What was God trying to tell the people? That the sacrifices are symbolic. They're not where you get your atonement. The atonement comes from Messiah. And what's 40 years? A time of testing. They had 40 years to accept Messiah and realize that salvation comes through him. And then when a majority still had not, he took away the temple and said, now what are you going to do? And the non-Messianic Jews created what's called rabbinic Judaism. And they said, well, we'll just make up our own religion and that'll make God happy. How many of you think it made God happy? Nope. So back to Isaiah 66, verse 2. For all those things my hand has made. Yep, we just read about that in John chapter 1. All those things my hand has made, and all those things exist, says the Lord. Which means God created them in Genesis 1, and they still exist. The word of God has not failed. How long ago did God put a rainbow in the sky? That was in Genesis 9. Have any of you ever seen a rainbow? God's word does not fail. 
God does not break his covenants. It says, but on this one will I look. Let's take a deep look at this. This is really important. On this one will I look. On him who is poor and of a contrite spirit and who trembles at my word. Poor and contrite spirit means who will humble themselves before God. And say, Lord, not my will, but yours be done. And who trembles at my word means who is obedient to me. Who accepts when I give a commandment that it's to be done. I'm going to read you again another comment from my Tanakh, my Jewish published Bible. It says, quote, it is obedience to my words that is important to me. Not perfunctory acts of sacrifice without remorse and contrition. I couldn't agree with those words more. If you want to continue to walk in sin, you can continue to walk in sin, but don't delude yourself and think you're on the path to heaven. Matthew chapter 5. The Beatitudes are all about this poor and contrite spirit. Which tells us that it has not changed. God's word does not change. He still wants today what he wanted 4,000 years ago. Matthew 5 starting in verse 1. Oops, I have two red circles out there. Let me see. What source does it say the doors flow? But it's in the Talmud. And lights went out each night. That's Talmud. Like I said up front, you don't find it in the Bible. It's only in the commentaries that were written by non-Messianic Jewish people. When were they written? The Talmud was compiled over many years. Starting about the year, I think, 200, give or take. Okay. References or sources for it's back there on the, on the shelf. You can go read it, but it's this big. <laughs> okay. The, the Babylon, was the Babylonian Talmud, was that written in Babylon? Yes, the Babylonian Talmud was written in Babylon. There are two Talmuds, the Jerusalem Talmud and the Babylonian Talmud. The Babylonian Talmud is considered the more authoritative because when the Jews returned from Babylon to Israel, most did not go back. Most of the Jewish scholars stayed in Babylon. Which tells me a lot about why I care what they have to say. So when you say 200, you mean 200? A.D., B.C., E. Before. Bef before. After the Common Era. In the Common Era. C.E. Let's put it that. C.E. There we go. C.E. Matthew 5, starting in verse 1 through verse 12. Messiah talks about the heart. And seeing the multitudes, he went up on a mountain. And when he was seated, his disciples came to him. Then he opened his mouth and taught them, saying. What's that word saying mean? It's a quote. That's a Hebrew construct. Matthew was written in Hebrew. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. What does poor in spirit mean? It means humble, not proud. Those who are willing to bow themselves before the Lord our God. 
for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Do you want to be one of the humble or one of the proud? One of the humble. Blessed are those who mourn. That's not mourning, woe is me, I don't have as much as my neighbor. Lord, won't you make amends and give me a Mercedes Benz? That's not what it's talking about, no. It's those who mourn over sin. How many of you actually mourn over our nation and how we've gone into sin? For they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. What's the opposite of righteousness? Lawlessness. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Hunger and thirst for means they desire it, they want it, they want themselves and the world around them to be righteous. Because that's what God wants. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. What does the Bible say about those who won't forgive others? They won't be forgiven either. So he must be merciful. Yeah, but what if people say bad things about us? Don't we get the right to punch them in the nose? No. Turn the other cheek. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Do you realize that all these are describing the same people, just in different terms? Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when they revile and persecute you and say all kinds of evil against you falsely for my name. Which word in there is so very important? Falsely. Falsely. Rejoice and be exceedingly glad, for great is your reward in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. So when you try and share with your friends and your family and they rebuke you and they say bad things about you and they don't invite you to Christmas dinners. Say thank goodness I didn't want to go to a Christmas dinner anyway. Psalm 34. Psalm 34. Lord said he didn't come to bring peace among families, but a sword. Meaning that not all family members are going to agree and follow the Lord. And some won't like it if you do. <laughs> Psalm 34, the Lord is near to those who have a broken heart. And save such as have a contrite spirit. Same as the Beatitudes. If you're broken hearted over sin, you don't want to offend the Lord that way. A contrite heart is one that's humble and bowed before the Lord. The Lord is very near to you. Psalm 51 verse 17. That last verse, what, 34 what? 34, 18. Does yours read differently? Okay, forgive me if I go too fast. And you have to forgive me or you won't be forgiven. So, <laughs> Psalm 51, verse 17. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, 
a broken and a contrite heart. These, O oh God, you will not despise. Meaning they are more important to God than the animal sacrifices on the altar. If you remember, Isaiah begins with Israel bringing the sacrifices to the altar. They just don't want to stop sinning. They want to continue in sin, but be forgiven because they brought God an animal. And Isaiah is all about, no, no, that's wrong. When you realize you sin, step one is repent. Then step two is do what's right. Yes, ma'am. Well, the Hebrew word is teshuva, which means to turn around. From that, we know it means to turn away from your sin and back to God. So stop sinning and start doing right. If we go to Isaiah, Isaiah defines it better than any place I know. Isaiah chapter 1. <clears throat> Let's start in verse 10. Isaiah chapter 1 is set in a courtroom. And God is reading the charges. And here are the charges. Verse 10. Hear the word of the Lord, you rulers of Sodom. And give ear to the Torah of our God, you people of Gomorrah. And that's Jerusalem. He's calling Sodom and Gomorrah. To what purpose is the multitude of your sacrifices to me, says the Lord? I've had enough of burnt offerings of rams and the fat of fed cattle. I do not delight in the blood of bulls or of lambs or goats. When you come to appear before me, who has required this from your hand to tremble my courts? Bring no more futile sacrifices. Incense is an abomination to me. The new moons, the Sabbaths, and the calling of assemblies. I cannot endure iniquity and the sacred meeting. There's the bottom line charge. I cannot endure iniquity. What's iniquity? Lawlessness. And the sacred meeting. Your new moons and your appointed feasts my soul hates. You're a, they're a trouble to me. I'm weary of bearing them. When you spread out your hands, I will hide my eyes from you. Even though you make many prayers, I will not hear. Your hands are full of blood. Then here comes repentance. Wash yourselves. Make yourselves clean. Put away the evil of your doings from before my eyes. And in case you didn't get that, cease to do evil. But that's not enough. It goes on, learn to do good. So you've turned from the sinful ways. And now you're going to walk uprightly before God. That is repentance. Learn to do good, seek justice, rebuke the oppressor, defend the fatherless, plead for the widow. Come now, let us reason together, says the Lord, though your sins are like scarlet. That's the shiny, blood-colored cloth on that, that animal at Yom Kippur. Though, they shall, though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they're red like crimson, they shall be as wool. If you are willing and obedient, you shall eat the good of the land. But if you refuse and rebel, you shall be devoured by this sword, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. 
So their attitude had become, we can sin all we want, we just take God a lamb now and then. And we're even, we're square. We don't have to stop sinning. We just have to take him a lamb now and then. Does that sound like so many churches of today that say, you don't have to repent, you don't have to stop sinning, that's trying to earn your salvation. Yeah, just keep putting money in the offering plate and sin all you want. Yeah, it sounds so much like it. Okay. Back to Isaiah, chapter 66. Verse 2. What, so, summary in that is God is saying, if you're going to continue in sin, I'm not going to accept your... Your meaningless uh, offerings. Your, mean, your meaningless offerings because it, 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 your offering is meaningless right. if you don't repent. Step one is repent, right. then bring the sacrifice. Right. And, and, yeah, and, because bringing the sacrifice is now being obedient to God. Yeah, and confess to God you know, what your sin is. It's like you said before, well, uh, that not just my sins in the present but the ones in the past that I've forgotten about or even or even the uh, curse of the fathers the sins of, you know mm -hmm. you know that, that is going to be passed on to children of the third and fourth generation until they repent and until they repent yeah so. yeah okay Can and I me? go ahead okay well I've been thinking about this ever since we were back in Matthew 5 where um, about turning the other cheek and out of my own experience you know I mean it was easy to say father I forgive so and so but it's taken a couple of decades for me to understand that to go that step further in my heart and there's another scripture I think it's in Matthew um, Yeshua was saying it, but but it's pray for your enemies. Um, yep. If you can help me on that, I remember where it is. It's there. And and that is for me to go beyond that and to choose to pray for my enemies, whether it's the you know family members or even uh, the the leaders, the evil leaders. Even Roman soldiers nailing nails into your hands and feet. To, to pray for them and intercede for them. Yep. And that puts me into a place of humility, of uh, breaking down my pride and my emotions or my anger. And to, I have to let go of that in order to really be effective or to have that prayer be effective yep. to the Father. Yep, I agree. Now we're up to four red circles, so let me see what they are before you actually get back to 62. Yep, okay. Somebody was just answering Sam's question. Sam dropped off before he heard the answer. Okay, back to 66, verse 2. For all those things my hand has made, and all those things exist, mean they still exist, because God's word does not change. It says, Lord, but on this one will I look, on him who is poor and of a contrite spirit and who trembles at my word. So does that include the one who says God's laws have been abolished? We don't need to worry about them anymore. That was for them, not us. No. 
Well, let's go back to the Psalms. The Psalm, did we get to 5117? Okay, yes. Then we also need to add Isaiah 5715, and then we can get on. Isaiah 5715. Yes, that's right. Linda's comment was repentance is like sin. You always hear the word, but rarely does somebody tell you what it means. And there's an awful lot of commentaries out there and ministers out there saying repent doesn't mean stop sinning. It just means say Jesus over and over. Verse 15. For thus says the high and lofty one who inhabits eternity, whose name is holy, I dwell in the high and holy place with him who has a contrite and humble spirit. To revive the spirit of the humble and to revive the heart of the contrite ones. So again this says who's going to live with Messiah in eternity? Those with the humble and contrite heart. Yeah, if you humble yourself, you can live in the high and holy place. How many times did Messiah say, if you want to be the greatest of all, you must be the servant of all? Yeah. I think he's the only one that fits that bill. Yeah. So back to 66, verse 3. He who kills a bull is as if he slays a man. He who sacrifices a lamb as if he breaks a dog's neck. He who offers a grain offering as if he offers swine's blood. What's a swine? Pig. He who burns incense as if he burns, as if he blesses an idol. Just as they have chosen their own ways and their soul delights in their abominations. So verse 3, this is all talking about the one who refuses to humble themselves. Those who say, I will do what I want to do. What does God have to say about it? It's like we just read in Isaiah chapter 1. God is referring all the way back to Isaiah chapter 1. He started that way. He's ending that way. With, if this describes you, that you're walking deeply in sin, you couldn't give a hoot about the commandments, statutes, and judgments of law, and thinking you're on the way to heaven, you're on that broad road of Matthew chapter 7, which leads to perdition. You guys know the scriptures. Where did Messiah say, if you love me, keep my commandments? John 14, 15. Where does the scripture say, what is the love of God that we keep his commandments and his commandments are not burdensome? 1 John chapter 5, verses 2 and 3. Where does it say in scripture, if you say you know him and don't keep his commandments, you're a liar and the truth is not in you? 1 John 2, verses 3 and 4. Let's look at Isaiah 58, 13.
Isaiah 58, 13. I'm going to let Mulaney help me with the Hebrew here. Isaiah 58, 13. If you turn away your foot from the Sabbath, from doing your pleasure on my holy day. Which day is the Lord calling my holy day? Was that Sunday? It's the Sabbath. And calls the Sabbath a delight. What's that word, Mulaney? Oneg. Mm -hmm. The holy day of the Lord, honorable, and shall honor him, not doing your own ways, nor finding your own pleasure, nor speaking your own words. And you shall delight yourself in the Lord. And I will cause you to ride on the high hills of the earth and feed you with the heritage of Jacob your father. The mouth of the Lord has spoken. Behold, the Lord's hand is not shortened that it cannot save. Nor is ear heavy that it cannot hear. But your iniquities, your lawlessness, have separated you from your God. And your sins have hidden his face from you so that he will not hear. Do you see a consistent theme? Yep. Yep. Let's look also at Ezekiel chapter 33, verse 20. Ezekiel chapter 33, 33, verse 20. I have a red number one out there. Let me check it. Reference, please, to what? You've got to be a little more specific. If you're talking about the Talmudic reference for those things. Oh, Delight and Sabbath. That's Isaiah chapter 58. Starting in verse 13. You're welcome. So Isaiah 58, 13 says, If you will call the day of the Sabbath honorable, holy, a delight then God's going to bless you and set you on the high hills. Where in the scripture does it say, if you're from the non-Jewish nations, that if you want to come into the Messianic kingdom, you will keep the Sabbath? That's in Isaiah 56. Okay. But we are in Ezekiel chapter 33, verse 20. You know what? I think I want to read a little earlier in Ezekiel okay. to give us a background. For instance, let's start in Ezekiel 33, verse 17. We'll just do the short version. Yet the children of your people say, The way of the Lord is not fair. But it's their way which is not fair. They're saying that the Lord's not fair because he expects us to quit sinning. Right. He doesn't want to let us do what we want to do. My body, my choice. I'll do what I want to do. <laughs> when the righteous turns from his righteousness and commits iniquity, he shall die because of it. And that doesn't just mean physical death. When the wicked turns from his wickedness and does what is lawful and right, he shall live because of it. Yet you say the way of the Lord is not fair. O house of Israel, I will judge every one of you according to what? His own ways. Come judgment day, there are three books that are opened. 
One is the book of the law. Here's what God told us to do. Second is called the book of deeds. What did you do? How are they going to match up? And then the third is the Lamb's book of life. Make sure your name's in there. Let's look earlier in chapter 33 to verse 11. Say to them, as I live, says the Lord God, and how long is that? Forever. Forever. It's an oath. I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but that the wicked turn from his way. The word turn there is shuvu. It's a commandment from which we get to shuva. Mm -hmm. Turn from his way and live. Turn, turn from your evil ways. For why should you die, O house of Israel? So three times God gives us the commandment, shuvu, which means repent. Turn away from sin and turn back to the true and living God. First Kings chapter 11. If any of you think God changes his mind and changes his commandments, be sure and read 1 Kings 13. That'll be your homework for the week. But we're in 1 Kings chapter 11. We'll start in verse 31. This is where Israel gets divided into two kingdoms. Ten, ten of the tribes get ripped from Solomon's descendants' hands. And he said to Jeroboam, Take for yourself ten pieces, that is ten tribes. For thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, Behold, I will tear the kingdom out of the hand of Solomon and will give ten tribes to you. But he shall have one tribe for the sake of my servant David and for the sake of Jerusalem, the city which I have chosen out of all the tribes of Israel, because they have forsaken me. Remember Deuteronomy 8.11, what's it mean to forsake the Lord? Stop keeping his commandments. And worship Ashtoreth. Modern day we would call her Easter. The goddess of the Sidonians. Chemosh, the god of the Moabites. Milcom, the god of the people of Ammon. And have not walked in my ways to do what is right in my eyes. And keep my statutes and my judgments as did his father David. Does that mean there's consequences to sin? Yes, there are. Psalm 81. Psalm 81. Verse 13. You want to see a tear run down the face of God. Oh, that my people would listen to me. That Israel would walk in my ways. I would soon subdue their enemies and turn my hand against their adversaries. The haters of the Lord would pretend submission to him, but their fate would endure forever. What does God say? Oh, that my people would listen to me. 
Psalm 95. You may recognize this from Hebrews chapters 3 and 4. We're going to start with the last sentence of 7 for context. Today, if you will hear his voice. What does it mean to hear his voice? It means to obey. Do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. As in the day of trial in the wilderness, when your fathers tested me, they tried me, though they saw my work. For 40 years I was grieved with that generation and said, it is a people who go astray in their hearts and they do not know my ways. So I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. What is that rest? That's that Sabbath rest of Hebrews 4.9, that Sabbatismus that remains for the people of God. Does that not break your heart? They lived in God's presence. They heard God speak with his own lips. And yet they were not willing to turn from their sin. They wanted the blessing but they were not willing to be obedient. Isaiah 55, verse 8. Isaiah 55, verse 8, going through verse 9. The Lord says, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are your ways my ways, says the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. This reminds me of the Talmudic comment on Deuteronomy chapter 12. Let's go back to Deuteronomy 12. Verse 32. Whatever I command you, be careful to observe it. You shall not add to it, nor take away from it. Yep, Deuteronomy 12, 32. Thank you. Yeah. So what God commands us, he doesn't want us to add to it or take away from it. So if you take away the Sabbath and put Sunday in its place, you take away Passover and put in Easter, you take away tabernacles, you put in Christmas, what are you doing? You're both taking away from God's commandments and adding to it. And what does God say? Don't do it. Why? Because his ways are higher than our ways. He knows what he wants. He knows what pleases him. So when we add to it, even things that we think he might like, 
scripture says we don't necessarily know the mind of God. One last reference on this verse. Let's go to Hebrews chapter 3 verse 10. Hebrews chapter 3 verse 10. And notice we are quoting from scriptures that we just read back in the Old Testament. Therefore I was angry with that generation they, and said they always go astray in their heart. What was the problem? It was a heart problem. They didn't have the faith and love. And they have not known my ways, so I swore in my wrath they shall not enter my rest. And he explains then in verses 18 and 19 the problem. And to whom did he swear that they would not enter his rest, but to those who did not obey? So we see that they could not enter in because of unbelief. God equates disobedience with unbelief. So you may stand before the Lord and say, Lord, I believe in you. And he may answer, no, you do not. Unfortunately, which of you gets to judge on Judgment Day? Yeah, not to me. Brother Wayne? Yes, ma'am? To add to uh, would the parallel to Deuteronomy 12, 32 be Revelation uh, 22, 18, and 19? Yep, in Revelation 22, 18 and 19, it says, don't add to. So let's go look. Revelation 22, 18 and 19 says, For I testify to everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this book. If anyone adds to these things, God will add to him the plagues that are written in this book. And if anyone takes away from the words of the prophecy of this book, God shall take away his part from the book of life, from the holy city, and from the things which are written in this book. And that doesn't just refer, that doesn't just, refer just to the book of Revelation, it refers to the whole Bible. Right? You are correct. So on your list of bad things, does everybody have a list of good things and bad things? On your list of bad things, put down, change God's word. So put it on the list of bad things and don't do it. How does who write this one off? The ones that, that, that do that. They say, you didn't take that literally, did you? Or they, they take God's word and make it say something it doesn't mm -hmm. like where they, where they say uh, God says uh, something about worship on the Sabbath, and it's not the Sabbath, it's the first, um, it's not worship on Sunday. It's not Sunday, it's the, one of the Sabbaths. Right. Let me give you an example of what one of the preachers did. I can remember exactly what he said, I think. Go to 1 John chapter 2. His sermon was on verses 3 and 4. 1 John chapter 2. Verses 3 and 4. 
This was Robert Breaker, if you ever get a chance to look at his teaching on 1 John chapter 2, verses 3 and 4. Robert. Robert Breaker. B-R-E-A-K-E-R. What's that? Yeah. Now by this we know that we know him if we keep his commandments. He who says I know him and does not keep his commandments is a liar and the truth is not in him. He said essentially, oh, this is inconsistent with the rest of the Bible so just ignore it. Just ignore it. What does my Liberty Bible commentary say about Revelation 22? Let's go to Revelation 22. They say the inerrant word of God is faulty. That's exactly. By the way, this is a King James only school saying the King James is wrong. <laughs> yeah, Revelation twenty two fourteen, which says, Blessed are those who do his commandments that they may have the right to the tree of life. Let me read you the comment from the commentary. Revelation 22, verse 14. The authorized version, meaning the King James, has unhappily utilized a Greek text here that is faulty and teaches what the rest of the Bible denies, that is salvation by keeping the commandments. Rather, salvation comes by symbolically washing their robes in the blood of the Lamb. In other words, you should throw out the King James and use the NIV. <laughs> One third example, then I will not give any more. Go to Psalm 119. I was so excited when J.D. Frog got to Psalm 119 because I wanted to hear him go, it really says that? The first one says, Blessed are the undefiled in the way who walk in the law of the Lord. And he said, What this means is, how dare you come to church on Sunday morning without bringing your Bible? I didn't listen to any more. I walked in church one time with my Bible and said, Hey, preacher. Yeah, okay. With that in mind, what's our time? Have I run out? Yeah, I've run out. So we'll pick up next week, Lord willing, in Isaiah chapter 66, verse 4. At least I didn't tell you this week we'd finish Isaiah. <laughs>